Support for Pivot comes from Vanta. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated fast. Now, you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, and that platform is Vanta. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, you can save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. To learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews, watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash pivot. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash pivot to watch Vanta's on-demand demo. Support for Pivot comes from Pendo. Pendo improves the apps your customers and employees rely on. Whether you're building applications for customers or managing applications for employees, Pendo can help deliver better experiences for your users so they can get more value from your software. Visit pendo.io slash pivot to learn more about how your team can use Pendo to start building better digital experiences. There you can also check out Pendo's lineup of free certification courses, 12 hours of in-depth training for your product management teams on topics from AI to product analytics to product-led growth. That's pendo.io slash pivot to learn more. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. So you headed west, Scott? Are you headed west to meet me? I'm heading west. I had, uh, so I'll start off. I'm going to talk about my weekend and then okay. I am All interested right. in what you did, but. Not really, but go ahead. I had oysters, but go ahead. I am. I'm actually actually feeling very fond of you lately. You've been very supportive. So anyways, oh, oh, right. I have my boys. And if my 16-year-old and I were just left at home, they would find us freezing and starving. Like we do nothing. We're happy yeah. to do nothing. My 13-year-old goes on YouTube and says 10 best things to do in London and he'll plan out the entire weekend and it's wonderful and I just say you're in charge. And he said Friday he said we're going to go to the world's fourth highest ranked food court in the world. And I'm like okay. So we go to Harrods food court. That's Harrods great. has a f- and it was amazing. It's amazing. I- You've never been there. I had never been there. So it was me, my 13-year-old son, and what felt like every first date in London. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we had just an amazing meal. And then, of course, we went up to the technology section because he likes to yeah. browse around. And then Saturday, we, me and both boys, went to go see Chelsea play Arsenal at Stamford Bridge. And Chelsea, you don't care, but I'm going to voice this on you anyways. All right. Okay. Chelsea has literally spent a billion dollars on new players under this new owner, Todd Bowley, who strikes me as a really nice man. Anyways, he yeah. also owns the Dodgers. And it's been a terrible season. And I'll tell you, the thing that makes for other fans, Premier League football is the other fans. The thing that makes owning a team really difficult is the fans. They are very harsh on the ownership. Chelsea goes up 2-0 against what is arguably the best team in the Prem right now, Arsenal. Right. And then in the last 20 minutes, Arsenal scores two goals and ties it up. And I was physically worried that if Arsenal scored a third, there would be a riot. Oh, all right. But it was a big game, did that. And then yesterday, got on a plane, came here, hanging yeah. out with my sister and her kids. And then in wow. about an hour and a half, I get on a plane and I'm going to come see you. Oh, my God. What a family time. What a yeah, family Yeah, it's a great weekend. Time. What did you do this weekend? Gosh, I had doctor's appointments, which I'm not going to bore you with. I have all my doctors still in San Francisco because I love them. I've had them for decades. Should I be looking for a new co-host? I have a list. No, 
I'm good. No? I, that's because okay. that's why you're not going to be looking for new because I go to the doctors. I'm one of those people who is very assiduous in going to my doctors every year about everything. Mm-hmm. And not too much, not too little, mm-hmm. just right. Just the right amount of doctors. I still have this terrible cold though. They're like, it'll pass. That's really pretty much what they say. I'm in very good shape. Don't worry about it. Well, speaking of doctors, my urologist, no joke, is starting a short form video platform. It's called Dick Talk. Oh, no, you're kidding me. Okay. <laughs> he he <laughs> he doubles as a locksmith. It's called Cocksmith. Oh my God! Stop. <laughs> oh, I can't. See, do you want more? Do you want more? Do you know four out of five urologists smell no, their own no, urine stop, before they stop, drink it? Stop. Oh my God. All right. Stop. You must stop. I'm stopping. Because I get complaints and I have to deal with them every time. You, see? you don't care about I my... love how you get the complaints. It starts off, how can you affiliate with him? That's really where it starts. And, I, and I'm beginning to come around to their way of thinking. Daddy rings the register. No, Two no. words. First word, ka, no, second, no, ching. No. Ka, ching. And by the way, it's all the people pretending to be woke that like the dirty stuff. Next show, you're no dick jokes. Anyway, we're going to talk about important things like the Supreme Court's latest ruling on the White House and big tech. Companies continue to struggle on how to address the Israel-Hamas war. And we'll speak with a friend of Pivot, Matt Mullenweg, another person who is wonderful, early person I've known for a long time. He's the CEO of Automatic, who has some news to share with his company. And he's actually an interesting person to talk about the power of big tech and others. He's a really interesting entrepreneur. Uh, But first, the Washington Post published its in-depth story on Congressman Jim Jordan over the weekend. The article looks back on his time as the assistant wrestling coach at Ohio State and what he did and didn't know about the team doctor's sexual abuse scandal. In the interview for the piece, Jordan apparently tensed up during the questioning about the doctor, but continued to deny having any knowledge of abuse at the time. The Post interviewed 11 former Ohio State wrestlers from the Jordan era who said it was inconceivable that he didn't know about the doctor's behavior. I don't know what to say. He's going to stick with his story. He's obviously out of running for the speakership. Uh, I'm not sure it'll have any impact. He's just going to keep doubling down on that he didn't know, even though he should have known or he's in willful denial. I'm not sure what to say. Uh, I'm conflicted here because this type of crime is so heinous that you'd like to think any whiff of this any complaint, any evidence, any, any, not even a red flag, but a yellow flag that you'd like to think that good people um, immediately um, run this thing down and make sure it's not true. Having said that, you know, if you go back, I go back to the 80s and I imagine being a coach. You know, I played sports in college and I imagine being a coach. Yeah. I was so naive to the fact that these crimes even existed and they really? seem so alien. That if you'd heard discussions of this and you were a junior coach, I can quite frankly empathize with either not knowing what to do or ignoring it or not believing it. And the reality is the vast majority of people that heard these rumors did nothing. Yeah, that's that's true. But uh, this, the lesson here, I mean, it's just easy to judge, to go back to, you got to put yourself in the shoes of someone who's in their early 20s and a coach and... But it's like my Dove, my friend Dove Seidman says, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. And I think if I think if Representative Jordan had said there were rumors, I heard about them, and I am ashamed that I didn't do anything. I I, I want to apologize to all the victims. I feel horrified. I wish I'd been more of a leader here. But quite frankly, 
it just didn't seem believable at the time, or I didn't I didn't know what to do. None of us knew if what yeah. was true, what was. I think if Maybe. he'd said that, I think people would forgive and say, okay, put yourself in those shoes. Would you have been a real leader and in, in, in figured this shit out, or would you have made it the easier decision to kind of think that it was locker room talk or whatever? I remember calling one of the high school teachers in our high school, the gym teachers, his name was Chester. So we naturally called him Chester the Molester. Does that mean other teachers should have run it down because he had a nickname? So I think this stuff is really hard. I'm going to take the opposite. But let me just finish. Let me just finish. His guilt here is by lying about it. He's lied about it. He has said, where he screwed up here is he has consistently said, heard nothing of the kind of about it. And that is not true. They... There are a ton of people who have come forward and said he was in the room when people are talking about this. So I'm I, I, I'm a bit conflicted here, and I do think there are a lot of people because, quite frankly, Representative Jordan sounds like a great-A asshole who want to see this guy be taken down. What are your yeah. thoughts? All right. Here's the deal. He's an intense—one of the things that was interesting in this article was how intense he was as a wrestler, how intense he was as a person, how directed— he was a real competitor, one of those real competitors. And you've met those types in sports, uh, and I'm sure you have. Um, I think nothing got in the way of his ambition. And so that's what made him deaf was his own ambition. He wasn't going to hear it, and he wasn't going to say anything about it. And to this day, I think he believes it. He believes he didn't hear it, but he heard it. That was the evidence here is that he heard it. He knew yeah. it. And I know there's rumors. There was rumors in high school about various and sundry people and nothing was done. You know what I mean? Every school has that story yeah. of of some something like the rumor of the teacher that sleeps with a student, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, as a 22-year-old, quit a job over something like this. And I'm sorry. I, I, it wasn't that hard. It really wasn't that hard. It was hard at the time. I was young. I wasn't sexually harassed. I witnessed it. I he- heard about it. I tried to do something about it. I, a friend of mine was sexually harassed. And the guy settled with someone else we were testifying for. And to say we didn't know was impossible. It just, everybody mm-hmm. knew. The other people in the office who were all Republicans, this was John McLaughlin, um, who ran the McLaughlin group, they knew and they did nothing. And to this day, and, and I quit, I testified against him. The thing was settled and I quit the job. I changed my life. And I'm not putting myself out as a hero at all. And I think I was unusual to act. So I get people who didn't act. But someone who came up to me later, met recently, relatively recently, who knew about it and told me I must be lying. They said that to me when I said, we have to do something about this. Came up to me, tried to apologize and said, I'm really sorry I did that. I'm really sorry I did know. I didn't do anything. I was concerned. I was young. Same thing. Wasn't that young. I was older, actually, than me by a lot. Um, I was young. I didn't want to lose a job, blah, 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 blah. And they said, can you forgive me? This was years later after denying it, being part of me having to quit. And I looked at this person and I said, no, I don't forgive you. I don't forgive Hmm. you at all. And I never want to see you again. I'm sorry. This was just heinous to have done this. And this guy, what happened here was much worse, I would say. Yeah, but I, I think you just you demonstrated a certain moral code, uh, courage, and leadership at 22 that most of us don't have at 22. 
most of us are in our first job and don't we don't even understand. I mean, you'd like to think you have a moral sense of self and a code and that type of leadership that you express and demonstrated. But the reality is the majority of us don't. The majority of us don't have that kind of confidence and code and perspective I, at the age of 20, 20, I, whatever. I guess. But let me just say the person who knew, they all knew. They all knew. They've said it to right. me years later. And all of them are still failing by not saying something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so, you know, when this person came up to me, I was like, say it publicly, call, write everybody. They didn't want to do that, right? It's uh, water under the bridge. That was one of the phrases. And that's when I knew I was like, you will not be forgiven. There's no water under the bridge for this, for these, but for this woman. It, it changed this woman's life who got sexually harassed. I know that. It comes, it comes back to the same thing. And that is, and I don't care if it's, uh, the people who work at Altria or Philip Morris or the people who work at Facebook, when it's raining money, your vision gets blurred. And you decide to, when you're paid not to see something, it's amazing how your vision can get blurred. And yeah. the reality is the reason why John McLaughlin got away with this was everyone around was making money yeah. from him. And I mean, this happened at News Corp. There were abuses yeah. there that just shouldn't have yeah. gone on so long. And when there's clear signs, let me take it to Big Tech, when there's clear signs that you're radicalizing young men, when there's clear signs that young girls are having greater degrees of suicidal ideation because of your algorithms, yeah. but you're making so much money, it's just easy to come up with reasons for why to ignore it. I guess. I and just... it takes, it takes, so I, I guess what I'm saying is, I don't. Find I know why he did it. I was, was around people who did things like that. I saw it with other people. That's not what I'm saying. He, now today, he should say something, and he can't because he's. Oh, there's down. no reason not to. There's he's no reason not down. to acknowledge it now. I, I, and this is this is what's uh, good about. I think there's a lot of. You could argue there's a lot of negatives around cancel culture, whatever you want to say. But at the, at the there were too many people in vulnerable groups getting abused for too long. Yeah. And something you said has always resonated with me, and that is when you're a white heterosexual male, you have to take a minute and take a breath and realize that you will never have the same level of empathy or understanding of this because, and you said this once, and it's always stuck with me, people who have never been victims have a difficult time understanding what it's like to be a victim. Yeah. Because... Yeah. I don't, quite frankly, I'm not worried about crime because I've never I been know, a victim of crime aren't either. because aren't. no one fucks with me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't. And then if I'm out with my sister walking around the street, I can see she's very cognizant of what's going on yeah. around her because she yeah. is much smaller than me. Yeah. And uh, and I do think that men in the workplace and outside of the workplace who are just, quite frankly, physically bigger need to take a breath and go, your world is different. You have a different threat assessment. Yeah, it's true. I think in this case, this guy's ambition was just so high, he didn't see anything else. And that was- Are we talking about what, Representative Jordan? Yeah, I think you could see his intensity. But what do you think his ambition was? He was a junior wrestling coach. No, 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 no. But he was he was on, he was was on a very competitive athlete. He was right. always on the, like, focus on the next thing. And I think he was always planning right. and plotting and stuff. Anyway, speaking of someone who did take a stand, John Stewart and Apple are parting ways. With the cancellation of Apple TV Plus show, the problem with Jon Stewart, just days before the third season was due to start taping. It's really not clear what happened, but uh, no one said anything publicly. I've asked John for an interview. Um, 
They and Apple executives reportedly had disagreements over upcoming guests and potential show topics tied to China and AI. Not surprised. Any talks I've had with Hollywood that have to do with anything I'm making and Apple buying, selling to Apple is always, they're like wary about me and topics. What topics would you discuss? Again, it's, it's Apple's network. They can do whatever they want. But I talked to Stuart on Sway in 2022 and asked him about his decision to do the show with Apple specifically. Let's listen to what he said. We, we wanted to try and create kind of a universe of information where we were boosting some of these voices and figuring things out. It's entrepreneurial to some extent, but also within that, what Apple gets out of it versus like, I'm not sure what they want out of a content company. I really don't. I don't know, you know, and in some ways we might be antithetical to their business model. Honestly, I think Apple wants to sell iPhones. I think Amazon wants to sell toilet paper. Right. But that's what I mean, that it, it may not be in their interest to have a provocateur, but I do know they've been incredibly supportive and have given us the resources to do it. Well, until they didn't, right? So I don't know what exactly what's happened here. So I'd, I'd be wary to say, I'd like to talk to the principals, but that was the word in Hollywood for sure. I was sort of waiting for him to get to China or things that they're uncomfortable with. Like this is the same reason that Facebook's getting out of news. It's just on a risk-adjusted basis when you have other businesses I mean, Apple is a $3 trillion market capitalization company, and 95% of their products are produced in China. And China makes no bones about saying your content and your views, we, we're not, we don't give a shit about the First Amendment. We have one party here, and if this party, this party can't be, it can't swing back to the second party. If we're voted out of office, that's called revolution, and we end up hanging from telephone poles. So we take this stuff very seriously, we will oppress and put intimidation, economic intimidation on people who say things that are not in our interests. And yeah. Apple is in the business of producing devices, 95% of which or 90% of which are produced and manufactured in China. So they look at this and they go, we get it. We understand. We, I, I imagine they hated making this decision, but said, uh, we got to be honest Boss, it sucks to be a grown-up. Have you noticed everyone always says, everyone tries to excuse Elon Musk's behavior to say, he's got terrible impulse control. Have I noticed? Yeah, He's I've got noticed. terrible impulse control. But when it comes to China, he's very measured and thoughtful. He's like, this is a difficult situation. And he stops yeah. talking because his second biggest market is yeah, China. So he's capable of control. So he's measured and has discretion when it involves his pocketbook. But when he knows he'll be protected by the First Amendment and red check trolls on his platform, he's very strident and has problems with impulse control. But the interesting thing about John Stewart, first off, John Stewart is a gift to America and the West. He's he just really so I, I really insightful like and courageous. And he softens the beach to change your mind with humor, which is the ultimate uh, shelling of the beach to soften it such that you're open to changing your view. He can say things that are offensive to some people or that you might not agree with, but you, he gets away with it because he's so his because of his art. Yeah, and the really reality good. is he could continue to do this show and have as much impact 
by just putting it on YouTube. I think he got a lot of money here and not a lot of, you know, I think effort is what it will take. And I think he's kind of got a sweet life. I don't know. Oh, I think uh, Apple, I, I can't yeah. imagine. I bet Apple said, you're a flagship. We have more money than God. Here's 10 million bucks yeah. to host a roundtable once a week. Yeah, a I year. think more than that. I think he got a lot of money. For yeah, that. I don't I'm sure. Know what it was. I'm sure. And there's nothing wrong with that. He deserves to have a good life and have a lot of money. But if he's looking to continue to be a strong voice, then he should. The, His interviews have gotten really good. If you know, some, on this and, show, I thought it was. I called him uh, possibly irrelevant at the time, because it was sort of not hitting all cylinders. And then it suddenly did. Uh, with some of those interviews he did, were really powerful with uh, on on big controversial topics. I was surprised Apple hadn't sort of been nervous before, but he couldn't get near China. You know, he was doing stuff around book band, whatever, a whole bunch of stuff. Well, just some numbers. His first shows were viewed by 40,000 households. John Oliver's viewed by 850,000 households. Yeah, small. The difference, though, is that John got traction. I bet quite a few of his clips got millions yeah, they did. of views. That view he did of that representative or that elected official on gun control, that clip, everybody saw that. I mean, almost everybody. Yeah, he did that several times on several topics. YouTube really is his distribution channel. I so would quite agree. frankly, other than probably the 10 million bucks that Apple was paying him a year or more, in terms of his impact and his his ability to reach people and, and influence them, if he wants, I mean, that's not an expensive show to produce. No, I know. It'd be interesting. I, I, I do want him to come back and talk. I think he's, you know, he's super active around 9-11. He's about veterans and burn pits. First and responders. He's yeah. done so much good work. I just... I, I want to find out what happened here, and I suspect it's a little more complex. That Apple is much happier with shows like Ted the Lasso. The Morning Show. Yeah. Well, Ted Lasso, how can you not be happy with Ted Lasso? I know. The Morning <laughs> Show does hit some controversial topics. They're right about to go into abortion right now in the current season, and I'm— uh, it's 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 a little more edgy than you think, actually. I was surprised. There's an Elon Musk character on the show. It's played by John Hamm, uh, of all people. <laughs> they, uh, really, I thought I couldn't figure out if that was Bezos or no. I, it's I, I can't. It's I don't a, even. It's I can't same even. Musk. It's a I can't even Musk. focus on what he's saying. John Hamm is so dreamy. He's so handsome. Oh he's my so gosh! Yeah, he's good. I think he's really good. We'll see where it goes. Anyway, John, come and talk. I'd love to talk to you some more. Also, it's tough times for Tesla and the third quarter earnings down thirty seven percent from last year. Some troubling news. Speaking of Elon, for the upcoming Cybertruck. On an earnings call with investors last week, Elon Musk seemed to be tempering expectations for the new vehicle. Uh, we dug our own grave with Cybertruck, Elon reportedly said on the earnings call. It was a very erratic earnings call, highlighting production challenges and getting to cash flow positivity. Although he noted the demand was off the charts. Uh, Tesla has announced a Cybertruck delivery event for November 30th. Maybe he's downplaying expectations. Who knows with this guy? Um, that stock is down pretty significantly. And he spent the weekend, speaking of dick jokes, he's like you, Dickopedia, and wondering why Wikipedia costs so much, just being an idiot. Uh, could could Cybertruck- I think it's inappropriate when he says it. When I say it, it's funny. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, such, I have such a double standard. I don't know. Where is this? There's, you know, the Rivian is out. I see lots of them. The Ford 150 Lightning is getting its problems in order. Uh, there's lots of choices here. And that thing is a choice. It's a choice to pick that car for sure. Look, I just and I, I you know, and er, people remind me of this on Twitter. And I'm I'm not on, but I'm sure they still remind me 10,000 times a day. 
I think valuation and bottoms of valuation on companies ultimately rears it head, its head in terms of stock price. And Ford trades at seven times in terms of enterprise value to EBITDA, and that is the stock price minus the debt, that valuation relative as a multiple of your profits, EBITDA is sort of a form of profits. At Ford, it's seven times. At GM, it's five times. At BMW, get this, it's four times. Tesla's multiple of enterprise value to EBITDA is 43 times. Yeah. And whenever I've had discussions with people, they want to immediately pivot to, oh, no, it's not a car company. It's a software company. Oh, no, it's an energy company. Because stockholders don't want to get into a discussion around the fact that this is metal being wrapped around four tires and a more innovative engine, the electric engine. There's, this company deserves to be profitable. What they've done is inspiring. And I just yeah. think you're going to see the valuation come way down. And they are hitting the same issues of scale that any manufacturing or automobile company faces and that their margins are contracting, there's more competition, right. and it's hard to scale. You still have, it's not like a digital product where the marginal cost of production is near to zero. You know, you have to make these things. These are yeah. difficult, complex products. Anyways, but it's just in the Cybertruck, I think it'll be interesting. I have a bias. Yeah, did you did you put your name on the list or not? What do you think of as a car? It looks really creepy looking, but whatever. I think it looks like Battlestar Galacta meets Homer Simpson. I think it looks strange. I got on the list for a Rivian because I thought it looked pretty yeah. cool. But the Cybertruck to me just looks something out of a 1980s sci-fi movie. I don't I don't Yeah, I don't, I don't get know. It. I think there's probably a limited audience, but who knows? I just don't see a million people driving these things. It's a choice. Like, you know what I mean? It's like Okay, I'm going to take that looking car. And I'll tell you something weird. I think we've seen it too much. You think it's overexposed? I just have seen it. It's been around forever. Where's the freaking truck? Like, I've seen it, him throw things at it. I've seen him show it off. I've seen him drive it around town. But I'm like, everyone else has got their truck out. Let's go, dude. There's still, though, this unique, and it's fairly new, peanut butter and chocolate to drive valuation of someone who's an iconic figure who's a great storyteller slash visionary, and then using social media to massively increase your yeah, stock price, you then getting access to cheaper capital, investing that cheaper capital, and then pulling away from the competition. One in three companies 20 years ago that went public were, were not profitable. Now two in three are not profitable. So the narrative is now important in the numbers. And to his credit, his narrative and his, his leveraging of social media, it's just unparalleled as evidenced by the fact that just, uh, I think, 30 or 60 days ago, they put out this big press release. We announcing the Dojo supercomputer, leveraging AI which helps, gives us an advantage around modeling and creating scenarios around autonomous driving, the market goes, oh, wow, Elon Musk, AI, plus his ability to promote this on his social media channels, the core competence of CEOs now in the growth economy, it's storytelling. It's the yeah. ability to leverage these new mediums. It's so not there, there. We'll see if people buy this truck. I just think- I'm, I'm not tired. saying it's warranted. Right. <laughs> I'm not saying but it'll I'm last. Saying that but there's got to be actual sales No one here. gives a shit what Mary Barra says. Right, but they've got to be- Have her announce a supercomputer. I get it. But no one cares. He's, he's got to sell the cars and, and he's got to make them profitable. You know what I mean? That's it. I don't think his narrative is as flexible as it was, but we'll see. It, yeah, I'll tell you what he should do. He should buy John Hamm and have John Hamm play him. Um, that's what he should do. And then he'll be fine. I'm watching Mad Men with my 16-year-old, and all I keep doing is pausing it and going, just so you know, at work, 
That yeah. is not appropriate behavior. You're not oh, okay. supposed to do that. This yeah. is a show about what you're not supposed to do as a boss. Anyway, let's get to our first big story. The Supreme Court is temporarily allowing the Biden administration to continue efforts to get social media companies to remove misleading posts. Late last week, the Supreme Court announced it was pausing an appeals court ruling that limited the government's ability to communicate with these companies. The court has agreed to hear the case this term in addition to several other social media First Amendment cases already on the docket. It's a win for the Biden administration, but I don't know, in combating misinformation, at least for now. The original lawsuit claims that government officials censored protected speech by urging tech companies to modify posts involving COVID and the election. The case has already uh, seen lots of back and forth with various appeals and injunction. Missouri's attorney general, one of the parties who brought the suit, called the government's actions the worst First Amendment violation in our nation's history. I don't know. It's interesting. What's the best argument for the government to make? Well, the the best argument is that we have First Amendment rights. And if we pass a law that says that social media firms, I mean, this is so ironic because Congress passed a law that said that they're not subject to the same scrutiny of the content they put out as every other media company called T30. But I would imagine the defense for the White House or the legal claim of the White House is if we pass a law saying you can't say this stuff, then yeah, that's a violation of the First Amendment, which is government shall pass on a law that him it's free, you know it's free speech but i think that they have some rights to free speech and can say to these companies when you are saying these things and they get algorithmically elevated and both of us including the executives of your firm acknowledge that there's no evidence that mrna vaccines alter your dna can we work together to stop the spread of this obviously false information that is creating greater levels of death, disease, and disability? When, when there is a deep fake of Nancy Speaker Pelosi that makes her appear inebriated, can we all agree that this is fake, this is bad for voters, this is bad for America, and we'd appreciate, we'd like to know what you're doing to stop this? Isn't that their First Amendment right? It is not, Scott, uh, you are a terrible lawyer. No, it's government. It's the government. They're speaking as the government, not as themselves. Um, the government's not supposed to do. T- it looks like it's quashing free speech. I think that's their argument. Right. Um, I think where the argument so is. Even if it's not a law, you're violating First Amendment. You could be. You're the White you could House. be. I think, the, I think the Supreme Court is exactly who has to weigh in here. But, you know, the conservatives are also attacking, besides trying to silence uh, academics, as we've talked about before, the agency, CISA, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. They're after, uh, I interviewed Jen Easterly, who's running it. This is the group that's, you know, trying to protect elections. Uh, the guy that, that Trump fired for saying the election wasn't stolen. If you remember that, mm-hmm. they're trying to attack it and it's funding the hard right Republicans. Um, they think they're gone too far and are looking for ways to rein it in. Um, this is very typical. Rand Paul but this is what he says. Sice has blatantly violated the First Amendment and colluded with big tech to censor the speech of ordinary Americans. Um, you know, they're going to do some damage here. Can, can I just ask you a question? And I'm generally asking for illumination not to make a statement. Everybody talks about the power of the presidency. The most powerful thing about the presidency is the bully pulpit. And that is his, and it's always a him. It has been always his to date. Yeah. Their ability to say something that endorses, controls, shames, sets a vision, you know, tries to influence people and organizations' behavior. So is this, is the basic argument here that the bully pulpit is fine, but if you're not doing it in public, you're doing it directly to a company, it's no longer the bully 
pulpit, it's a violation of First Amendment? Yeah. Yes, it could be. If it's the government speaking, I don't know. That's the, I think that's why it's got to go to the Supreme Court. Other cases on the court dockets involve social media and First Amendment. They may call for sweeping changes. Other cases involve whether public officials can block people on social media and whether state laws can regulate how social media companies moderate content. We do have an inkling of how uh, some of the justices might approach the White House case based on this latest ruling. But Justices Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch publicly dissented on the court's decision with Alito calling out government censorship of private speech. They are on this case. They're going to, they're not giving up. They're, it's a very, it has the same vibe as when they went after abortion and everything else. But I think it's, uh, I think it's the same group of people constantly bitching and moaning that their yeah. speech is being censored. Yes. It's, but is I think it's it? a coordinated effort, uh, by a lot of these groups to hit academics, to hit government, to hit anybody who who questions anything. And because they do not want a government agency declaring a, an election free and clear, even though that's the job of the government and things like that. Um, well, we have electoral boards, isn't that what they're supposed to I, do? Supposed to I know, but SISA has done invaluable work. And Trump fired him anyway. And they still do invaluable work. But all these Republicans are bowing out of their help around uh, election security to their discredit. And now they're sort of crawling back a little bit. But, you know, they have to make these things about free speech. We'll see. Um, it's an important case at the moment. It is. All of these are. And and our Supreme Court should be the one to weigh in. And I'm scared that they're going to weigh in in the wrong way, but we'll see. All right, Scott, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, CEOs and companies feel the pressure to weigh in on the Israel-Hamas war. We'll speak with a friend of Pivot, Automatic CEO Matt Mullenweg, who has some news to share about his company. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Scott, we're back with the continuing debate over whether companies should speak out about the Israel-Hamas war. We're seeing the consequences of doing so with a number of companies, CEOs, and entertainers this week. Let's start with an update to Web Summit's story we discussed last week. Uh, CEO Patty Cosgrave announced over the weekend he's stepping down. This is after the backlash of his comments accusing Israel of committing war crimes. Scott, did the news of his resignation change your decision to pull out of Web Summit? Are you going now or what? I was called by a couple of media outlets and I said, yeah. I'm not, I have no comment. My actions speak for themselves. And they said, well, off the record, are you going? And I'm like, absolutely not. And yeah. they said, why? And I'm like, because this is meaningless. And it's, I think it's an interesting lesson in corporate governments that the, yeah. that the media has gone for this head fake of, oh, he's stepping down. Let me be clear. Yeah. When you own 82% of a small company, uh, stepping down as CEO is absolutely meaningless. All that means is he can go next week, he can get 82% of the profits, he's still in charge, he's still in control of the company. He just, his card will say founder or chairman and not CEO. An analog would be, remember all the shit that Chamath Palapataya and the yeah. owner of CrossFit, the CEO, got a lot of grief 
for making what people perceived as insensitive comments. Yeah, yeah. They didn't ask Shamath to change his title from owner to shareholder. They said, you need to sell your stake. I think the MBA said, you got to sell your stake. They didn't tell the CEO of CrossFit, change your title to chairman and all is forgiven. They made him sell his stake. And I just find it, when when you're, so I've managed small companies about the same size. I would immediately, as soon as someone was great and I was worried about them leaving, who was a senior person, I'd say, you be CEO, because titles matter to people. Yeah. But I was always in charge. You know why? I was the largest shareholder. Yeah. <laughs> and I controlled so. the board. I controlled all decisions. And be clear, Patty Cosgrave, and you may decide that's enough, the public embarrassment. You might decide to forgive him, fine. But be clear, nothing has changed here. Yeah, he's nothing. Still in charge. He's yeah. still in charge. He will still get 82% of the profits. He will still make all the decisions. My bet is that whoever was actually doing all the work, they just give them her, him or her the CEO title now. But yeah. I just find it hilarious that the media is acting I agree. as if this is some sort of change in anything. It's not. It's laughable. I agree. It's laughable. It's, it's just, it's just when you own 82% of the company, if Bob Iger stepped down as CEO, he loses yeah. his compensation, he loses his authority. He's out. That's a big deal. When you're the 82% owner of a private company, the only title that matters yeah. is largest shareholder. Yeah. You can call yourself general consulate of Australia. It doesn't mean yeah, a damn thing. Will. No no one doubts who's in charge at News Corp, the guy who controls all the voting shares. Yeah, it's the Rupert Murdoch test. Is he gone? No, he's not gone after <laughs> all the shit, the Dominion, uh, the sexual harassment lawsuits. Oh my God, you're right. You're 100 percent right. It's risible. It's risible. Look up, look up that word. It's a good word. There Laughable is what it means. McDonald's is finding itself also in a difficult situation with franchises taking sides in the war. Early this month, McDonald's franchise in Israel said it would provide free meals to Israeli soldiers. Some McDonald's franchises in the Middle East have made statements distancing themselves from the Israeli franchise. Others made donations to Gaza in solidarity with Palestinians. McDonald's Corporation has said the company's top priorities ensuring the safety of its people and teams on the ground. Employees at Google, Meta, and Amazon are pushing management to speak out against the war, according to a report in the Washington Post. There was just today, there was a story about a woman at CAA who had a post criticizing Israel. Uh, She has big clients. Her name's Maha Dahil. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. Whose clients include Tom Cruise, Natalie Portman, Reese Witherspoon, Anne Hathaway. She came under scrutiny, this according to The Hollywood Reporter, for an Instagram post that had been highly critical of Israel and referenced genocide. The post was later deleted and the agent apologized for the remarks, but she's resigning from uh, her leadership role in a division Around 20% of the largest companies in the S&P have issued formal statements on the Israel-Hamas war as of last week, according to Bloomberg. Nearly all of those 100 companies released public statements on uh, Russia-Ukraine. So they're very wary here. We'll get to Dave Chappelle in a second, but first talk about companies very briefly. Like it's situational. And the reason why you have a kitchen cabinet and you have a board of directors and you have thoughtful people, hopefully you surround yourself with is one situation is not like the other. I don't think, I don't think a small company hosting a, a web event in Lisbon has any obligation or quite frankly, any rationale to, to weigh in here, especially when your comments are going to be seen in terms of the timing as being an apologist for terrorism. And on a shareholder basis, my advice to companies on political issues from when I'm on the board is, Unless we have operations directly impacted by this, unless we have people on the ground being impacted by this, 
you know, unless it's a no brainer. I think when Russia invades Ukraine and starts bombing maternity wards, I think that's a no brainer. But the problem is when you take a political stand as the CEO, you're implicitly yeah. or explicitly putting pressure on your employees to agree with you. And if they don't agree with you, to be silenced. So my advice as, as someone who on the board who's thinking on a risk-adjusted basis about shareholders, if you're, if you're McDonald's, I'm not sure you can avoid not making a statement about this because you have, you have a big business in Israel. I, yeah. this is, I, I feel for them. I don't, I don't want to pretend that I understand yeah. exactly what they should do. My advice to them would be, to the extent you can, stay out of this shit. You know who did a great job, I have to say? Who's that? Ziggy Marley said, free Gaza from Hamas. I, I was like, that's a very clear statement. And he, he condemned anti-Semitism and the uh, attacks. You know, Biden's coming under increasing pressure from Arab Americans, too, as Israel prepares to invade. So this has lots of chapters, uh, you know, for these companies. And then you have another person who's, of course, when I saw it, it's like, of course, he had to say something. Comedian Dave Chappelle had a show in Boston where he condemned Hamas, but also reportedly criticized what he called the war crimes in Gaza. This led to both cheers and walkouts. You know, I, I just, I, I don't think any, there's a particularly good answer in this situation, unfortunately, uh, as, okay. especially, especially as things unfold. If all of a sudden Israel starts to get really, aggressive in this, what is a information war? And they are, hey, have been aggressive, starts to get aggressive. Um, I see I'm correcting myself because I'm like, I'm not thinking. thinking it yeah, yeah, but it, I, I, I want to channel my Jeffrey Sonnenfeld here okay. or my Sam Harris. And that is when a comedian or anyone else says this, but also this, I, I just don't think the moral equivalence exists here. They accuse Israel of, of war crimes. And here's the thing, that is a damaging accusation because in Israel, there are war crimes. If you take hostages, that is a war crime. If you kill non-combatants, that is a war crime. Right. If you take video of you killing a son and then you send the video to all of the son's contacts on his phone, including his parents, that is a war crime. If you murder and yes, mutilate children in front of their bad. parents, in front of their parents and then kill the parents, they force them to witness this before you murder them. That is a war crime. Hamas, there is no such thing as a war crime. That is their approach to combat. Yeah. And so when people say Israel is guilty of war crimes, they are acknowledging that Israel, and assuming that damages them and that's an insult, they're acknowledging that Israel lives in a superior society than jihadist fundamentalists who don't understand their approach to combat is war crime. Yeah, wow. And so to pretend that these two have any sort of moral equivalence is, quite frankly, is outrageous and ignorant. Well, we'll see where it goes. Um, we've been talking a lot about misinformation on social media with the war. I assembled a panel this week to talk about it. And I want to play a clip from this BBC verified journalist, because you have to remember, there are people out there trying very hard to get it right, to get people good information, even if good information makes it really hard to decide what to say. Let's listen. What we want to know, first of all, you know, when was this piece of video 
filmed? Where does it come from? Who's the original source? Can we actually source the video to the person who filmed it? The platform that where it was first shared? Because obviously you put something on Telegram or on WhatsApp, then, then it travels across platforms. So just because you see it on TikTok or on Instagram doesn't, doesn't mean that's where it came from. You have to source it. You have to find out who filmed this video, this piece of footage, who first posted it online, and then you have to contact them and talk to them because they probably have more context. Then the sec second thing is, is this actually the is this actually the entire footage? Is there a longer version? Have other people right. been at the scene where, where this where this video was filmed? Is there Meaning something trying that, to manipulate it to look... Well, exactly. Has it been edited? I appreciate journalists trying to do that. I still think even Very correcting difficult. the misinformation yeah. is still, you then get, what do you think, right? Even yeah. if you know exactly what's right, as you were noting, with, uh, there's lots of reports about what what happened on the attack on the Israeli citizens. A majority of viral misinformation is about the Hamas war on X is being pushed by verified users, by the way, according to a recent study. When you say verified, you mean people with a troll check, a blue yeah, check? Yeah, troll check. Researchers have analyzed uh, 250 most engaged posts in the first week of the war and found that verified accounts were responsible for 75% okay. of that. But let's just be clear. Verified account means you've paid $9 in some cases Eight. to spread misinformation or elevate yeah. your content to have some veracity, which you have not earned on yeah. your own. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So it's a it's a big information mess, which I think the whole that's the whole point. Let me just ask you lastly, we to bring in our guests in a minute. Um, do, do you you pause, don't you, before you say things, or maybe you don't, uh, because you have to be. I, I, it's not for fear. It's you. You don't want to upset. I I I pause because I don't want to upset people. I I'm like I gotta be thoughtful here rather than knee jerk, right? Like say something off that you say so much off the top of your head in life. I think that's the problem I have more than anything. I don't know. You don't want to look, I, I'm again, this, I'm conflicted here. I think if you have economic security and people who love you unconditionally, you have a moral obligation to speak your mind and speak the truth. Cause I do find that over the last 10 or 20 years in academia and in media, there's a certain narrative that has emerged. It's like, this is the narrative you're supposed to adopt. Yeah. And if you veer outside of that narrative, you risk your economic livelihood or being shamed. And yeah. as a result, when we all start barking up the same tree, we get stupid. So I do think you have an obligation to speak your mind. I think on issues like this, to take a breath and try and understand both sides. Fareed Zakaria, similar to what you said about Ziggy Marley. Yeah. When I interviewed Fareed Zakaria, he kind of summed it up perfectly in one very simple statement. He said, I have a lot of empathy and sympathy for the people of Gaza. I have no empathy or less empathy and sympathy for Hamas. Uh, that to me sort of summarized it. You know, it's like, I, you know, I get it. That makes sense. And to yeah. just be able to articulate, to be able to, you know, see, if you will, the nuance of the situation here. But I don't buy this. Uh, the fact that NYU students, the fact that young people have conflated the struggles of people in Gaza with civil rights, I think they are incorrect. Yeah. Um, I don't, you can call them strident, but I think, I think this is a situation here where there is a wrong and a right. And let me be clear, there are different forms of evil. There are different forms of wrong. I have said that far-right policies in Israel have done them no favor. You could argue that they're inhuman. I think that Netanyahu is a criminal. But you have to call out, you have to, there are shades of moral ambiguity, but there are there is a right and a wrong here. And I try to be, I don't, you don't want to diminish people. You don't want to make people feel bad. But what I see here is just a, a, a disturbing virus that is airborne that you can't see, that is rooted in anti-Semitism. Yeah. 
And I would, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to sound holier than thou here. On a risk-adjusted basis, it's not a smart idea. If I had a big company and I was the CEO, yeah. I don't think I would say these things publicly because I would be yeah. assuming that everybody feels the same way as I do and I would be taking unnecessary risks with other people's economic livelihood. But I'm a 58-year-old that has a small company who has been blessed by America, who has been blessed by people who have risked life and limb to push back on anti-Semitism. So we have an obligation to like, in my view, we have an obligation to speak up. Yeah, I think you're, that's well said, well said. Anyway, let's bring in our friend of Pivot. Matt Mullenweg is the CEO of Automatic and co-founder of WordPress. In addition to WordPress, the Automatic portfolio includes Tumblr, Long Reads, Pocket Casts, and more. Matt, it's good to see you. How you doing? Likewise. Uh, this is a little earlier than I'm used to getting up, but for y'all, happy to. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm in San Francisco, so it's early for me too. Um, for people that don't know, I, we started uh, all things uh, need Recode on WordPress, and I know Matt very well. He was a tremendous partner. And it was early. We were an early partner of yours. There were a lot of different platforms. And we just thought you had the highest quality platform and you were always an excellent partner trying to figure out how to expand our little blog experiment. <laughs> Thank we did. you. And Scott, yeah. I think you use WordPress as well. Uh, no mercy, no malice. Oh, Do you? dude, you owe me lunch and drinks. We yeah. have been using WordPress <laughs> across everything. You are... I mean, you've done what few people have done, and that is you've taken on the big guys and you're winning. Well, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about. So so you, this is this is our first Pivot exclusive. Talk about this acquisition of what you're buying and why, because it's it's in that vein of what Scott absolutely just said. Yeah, and it's a new area for us. So Automatic, typically, uh, which is the holding company behind like WordPress.com, WordPress Enterprise, VIP, et cetera, um, has worked in publishing for a while. We moved into commerce in 2016 with WooCommerce, which is like open source Shopify. And now we're going into messaging, which is uh, a much more competitive area in a lot of ways. Um, so we're doing this with an acquisition. It's a company called Text, T-E-X-T-S dot com. And it is a desktop app, which has sort of reverse engineered all the protocols for all the different messaging apps. So it brings in iMessage, WhatsApp, Signal, Telegram, uh, LinkedIn DM, Instagram DM, Messenger, all these different things into one interface, one program as a power user tool, kind of like a superhuman for messaging. And, um, yeah, uh, we are announcing it on this pod. So <laughs> thank you so, so what, much. So why are, why did you buy this? What, from your perspective, why, why does that help you? You've talked in the past about making automatic the quote Berkshire Hathaway of the internet. What do you mean by that? And, what what's the importance of doing this and sort of providing smaller com a smaller company rather than the bigs? I assume uh, some of it was born out of personal frustration. So I don't know if you have like these multiple <laughs> messaging gaps and it's hard to track which, yep. what, who you messaged on which one and and everything like that. I found myself sort of getting very behind and so went out in the market and actually Automatic ended up making some investments in this space over the last few years, including in. Element, which is a matrix company, Beeper, which is a, another app which has some similar things, but differently, and um, came across text and was really just taken with the product. I also, I'd say finally that I really enjoy working in areas um, that I feel like we can spend the rest of our lives on, so <laughs> and that are important to kind of human rights for freedom, because as you know, everything we do is very user-centric and open source. So right. publishing, commerce, messaging, between those three, you cover a lot of the human condition and they're complementary because 
Uh, of course, when you publish, <laughs> you want a distribution for it. And so being able to work with all the different networks seems great. So the final reason is the regulatory framework. So uh, products like this, I think, have a big risk of being shut down or blocked by the different networks. The bigger but ones. Today, Meaning the bigger of, ones have outsized control over people, correct? Yeah, and they can do subtle things. I like just sort of like uh, block your clients or make it so your messages don't send. And I think right now with the regulatory frameworks, the antitrust frameworks, particularly the UK's CMA, what's going on with the EU regulation, it would be a bad look for, for the uh, Apple, Google, Meta to block this um, because it's completely user-centric and it maintains 100% encryption. So it runs 100% client-side. So it's just as secure as their desktop apps. Right, but you're fighting against bigger players, right? That can do what they want. I would say we're fighting per se in that they, they might not love this, but it's supporting all the networks. So it's not like an alternative network. So if anything, it'll make it maybe easier for people to stay connected or keep up with their WhatsApps or their LinkedIn DMs, particularly I think channels you might not check as much or they don't have a great interface, like like a LinkedIn DM, which right. you know kind of gets a bad rep, but actually can be really, really interesting. And sometimes I'll have like a gym in there and I just miss it because I don't, I don't log yeah. into LinkedIn very much. Whenever I'm in a VC meeting, and someone's pitching the company, if it looks like it's directly competing against anyone in big tech, the VCs are like, we're out. You can't compete against these guys. And you are. You're competing against players of much deeper pockets of capital who can bundle this with software that's everywhere. Like When you're in a strategy meeting thinking, okay, every day we compete against Microsoft. Every, every day we compete against Adobe. What is it that you think entrepreneurs and companies like yours can bring to compete against the big players and actually not only survive, but thrive? Uh, first is speed, and that's probably the most important. Hmm. So big companies, uh, with rare exceptions, uh, typically have trouble moving as fast. Second is focus. Um, so focus, I would say, uh, you know, messaging is very, very important, but look how much trouble like Google's had getting it right <laughs> with like infinite money, infinite resources. I think some of related to the focus is also the incentives of the managers or the people kind of running different divisions in these companies. And then finally, like how can you use their weight or their size or their business model against them? So for example, uh, with, with Tumblr, which is one of our, our products, um, all the other social networks are really dependent on advertising. So what we tried to do in the beginning after we bought it was create like a non-advertising upgrade. Uh, so with messaging, all the big networks are really incentivized to get you to use their thing and they don't want you using anyone else. So they do various things that try to lock you in. Most notoriously, I would say iMessage, which of course is kind of Mac and iOS only, and yeah. they don't allow interop. They Fact in the U.S., there's a whole thing where like teenagers get excluded from chat groups because they don't want to be be the green bubble in the group. But we can say, "Hey, let's support all of this," which I would say is actually the far more like user and customer centric version, <laughs> because you know, as users, we use all these things, and so the companies want to pretend you don't, but we all do. So that's also something we've taken a big approach for. So we just try to integrate with everything. Open source also makes that easy because people can write plugins for anything. So I think if you keep those three things in mind, you can compete with the big guys and, uh, and in fact, thrive. Because they're all trying to keep people in there. The, uh, it used to call it a walled garden, essentially, trying to keep people using their products over 
try to they're not trying to advantage the consumer; they're trying to advantage themselves. Um, curious, are, how are people using Tumblr? Why do you think they're still using it, and what are they using it for? <laughs> uh, for better and worse, it has a little bit of a, a niche thing going for it, which is it's uh, primarily kids under twenty five, which I actually wouldn't have expected before we bought it, and. Right. They like a few things there. One, it can be anonymous by default. So especially as you're growing up, you can kind of try on different identities. It's not attached yeah. to your name forever and ever. Um, people love that they can follow like uh, fandoms or fan fiction is really big on there. Art and artists um, tends to be a much more creative network. And uh, then finally, the other thing about it being mostly young people is their, uh, their parents aren't on it. <laughs> <laughs> the teachers yeah. aren't on it. So that's right. obviously that doesn't work forever. If we like 10x Tumblr, you'd have a lot more parents and teachers on it. But today, where it is in sort of like the 15, 20 million MAU range, um, it tends to be like the what kids. did you pay for it? What did you pay oh, for? I love it? that question. What did you pay for it? Like three million dollars? <laughs> uh, yeah, we paid a de minimis amount. I think it's been reported three million dollars. But it was uh Free like a puppy. <laughs> so, oh, but the more interesting thing was a few years before that, Marissa Yahoo. Mayer and Yahoo paid one point one billion, billion for it. For so, it. You, yeah, so you, you got bought it for 03 percent of the purchase price. I would argue that is arguably the best and the worst acquisition in history across one company, and you're on the right side of that trade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although he but, said it's like having a puppy, like uh, they they chew the shoes, right? It was kind of a, and usually in acquisitions, you have something where there's like indemnifications or guarantees. We took on all the liabilities, all the losses, all the everything that were pending with Tumblr. Uh, and we've invested a lot in it over the years. So internally, we actually budgeted a pretty big amount for what we need to invest to turn it around. Right, right. So one of the things that's involved in this one and others, you're a big proponent of open source, uh, whether it's on your platforms or AI. Explain why why you think it's so important. Automatic launched an AI writing assistant for WordPress in June that can generate and edit text, for example. Explain where you are right now on open sourcing, because it does feel like the bigger players continue to grab all the the good bits, essentially. <laughs> Although it's interesting in AI that Meta's taken a more open source approach. So I believe it's not hard to see how more and more of our lives are influenced or actually kind of run by the software that we use, you know, from everything, yeah. what defaults are in operating systems, what websites work or not on the web. Software open source, particularly the GPL, which is the license we use for pretty much everything, comes with like a bill of rights. Uh, so where most software you click through, and when you click on it, it's like, here's all the things you can't do. And here's how the company is protected, not you. The GPL gives four freedoms that sort of are user-centric, that protect you. It's the freedom to use it for any purpose, the freedom to see how it works, freedom to modify it, and the freedom to redistribute those modifications. So this kind of bill of rights for software, I think, gives us agency, autonomy, allows us to be sovereign in our in our digital choices. And so as more and more of our lives become dictated by that, we're becoming, we're going to become less and less free if we're using proprietary for the majority of our software. So now most people don't care about what I just said. <laughs> so that's why like with WordPress, we're like, well, I was radicalized to this young, open source is like my religion. Uh, and I was like, but no one cares. So we just need to make the best software. <laughs> so that's what right. we, so the try to approach we create is we just try to use these principles to create software that is again, super user centric. And if we create a better user experience, people choose it. And so they might not know they're getting this thing that makes the world more free or the web more open, but they will. And if enough people do it, it actually even influences the competition will make the proprietary 
folks open up a bit more. So for example, WordPress has a really open import and export format. We've tried to make it easy to leave. As Sting says, if you love someone, set them free, right? So um, this format is actually supported by all of our proprietary competitors like Wix and Squarespace and et cetera, um, because it became the industry standard. And that uh, I think that's a very powerful way that even if you're not a majority market player, you can influence uh, the proprietary competitors to be more open. Who do you see in, ter in terms of the big players? Who kind of keeps you up at night? If there was a big player, you thought, is it Adobe? Is it Microsoft? Who do you look up to and admire and thinks has a, just the kind of power to come for you, if you will? Hmm. That's a good question. One thing I do think about is we try to not to go head to head with, with a, a place where we don't have some competitive advantage. A good mm -hmm. example of this is actually advertising. We do very little advertising. Uh, we try to allow like word of mouth and community to spread our products and partially because like when we did do a lot of advertising, all of our competitors had so much more money than us <laughs> and that mm -hmm. kind of head to head fight, they could just outspend us typically by like hundreds of millions of dollars. That's tough. Um, you know, with the, with the big tech, you know, the Microsoft, the Googles, Metas, we both compete in some areas, but we also partner in so many others. So uh, I do think that particularly with messaging, although they not might not be able to do this themselves, this kind of mm -hmm. like multi-client thing, right. I think they're actually going to be happy that someone is doing it and someone independent because, with again, text. like I said, it's, it's, it's something that they probably will need to do anyway. They're going to need to open up with like coming regulation over the next year or two. And this will actually be something they can point to and say, hey, we're glad this exists. I guess the final, you know, one person who's intimated, they might be working on the same thing. Although it's just a tweet and you never know what to do with these is, is Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> and so, oh, like, yay. Uh, yeah. Someone, you know, he's a complicated Shakespearean character, but yeah. Um, yeah, a head to head competition. It's not like a, you know, I don't think I would ever go into the, like the solar or the, the space rocket space because he is a, uh, you know, fiercely competitive and uh, executed well in those areas over many years. So he would he would have a this is this everything app or that everything gets joined at Twitter. It's hard to tell, and I I will say that in the software side of things, I don't think he's been as uh, as impressive Successful. so far as yeah. the hardware side. So yeah. you know. You're so kind. He's so nice. Uh, he's he hasn't been as successful in the software side. Yeah, that's a, that's an understatement. Um, but you did buy. You became a blue check uh, subscriber, um, not one of the trolls because you're not like that. But you wanted to see how the subscriptions work, is what you tweeted actually, which was interesting. And to be honest, you know, a lot of what he's been doing with Twitter are things we had already tried with Tumblr. So I was very curious to see like what the user flow was like and. Uh, and honestly, like I'm still a Twitter user, so I think yeah. I do want to normalize. Like we should be paying more for the services we use uh, yeah. versus just expecting to get for free and then our data or our usage being sold to advertisers or something else. So yeah. I think I, w I want to normalize that we pay for more of these things because I think it's a better business model in the long term. Uh, most people do. Most people don't disagree with that. It's a question of who you want to give your data to or who you want to have affiliated with. Um, you didn't ever think of doing a social network when this sort of the Twitter started to go off the rails a little bit here? Did you think about doing that rather than a texting platform? Well, we bought we bought Tumblr in 2019. So yeah. we were already- It's not the same. It's not, it's sort of the same. 
it's not used the same. Yeah. Its user base is very different. But if you look at the fundamental primitives of the capabilities, you could use Tumblr just like Twitter. And it just, it was in kind of a rough spot. So since the acquisition, you know, when it was bought for a billion dollars, it was kind of on a similar trajectory as Instagram and was actually yeah. purchased for a similar amount. It just, you know, I think when Yahoo got distracted with activist investors and Alibaba and all this other stuff, they uh, they didn't focus on it. So that's when it kind of withered on the vine. And then they yeah. got sold twice, you know, the merge with AOL, the sell yeah. to Verizon. So it just ended up without the focus. And so, you know, it was definitely a turnaround when we brought it in. But I right. want to see, could we do upgrades? Could we fix the algorithm, give people choice in the algorithm? Um, so a lot of the same same ideas <laughs> and also very humbly. So most yeah. of that stuff we did did not work. You know, people yeah. say they want to pay, almost no one does. So yeah, uh, that's true. So Matt, you um, you're 39, a really a young man. You've you're financially secure. You built a great company. Like what for you personally? Do you have what what box do you still want to check here other than the success of automatic? What would you like to accomplish over the next 10 or 20 years? Well, first and foremost, is I want to work on open source the rest of, rest of my life. Like mm -hmm. to the extent I have like a creative window when I have like energy and the ability to work really hard on things, I want all the energy to go into things that are open source. I understand your passion about open source, but what does success look like for Matt as a, as a citizen? Oh, I do think about, I mean, when you use the word citizen, it does sort of remind me of like how I could contribute particularly to where I live, which is America. Um, so when I think there, I think philanthropy, mm -hmm. um, starting to do more in Houston, my hometown. I've done a lot mm -hmm. in San Francisco, but actually not as much in Houston. And uh, actually just someplace I've been personally trying to learn more is uh, about cybersecurity, which was kind of, when I was young, I was kind of in the hacker world and stuff like that. Um, I just joined a board of a company called Field Effect actually in Canada to learn more about both the defensive and offensive side of cybersecurity. Because I do feel like if you think over the next 10 or 15 years, that's gonna be one of the major areas of uh, sort of great power conflicts. It's actually already happening today, just kind of behind the scenes. There's a there's a digital Hiroshima once a week, you know, across major governments and companies. And so, yeah, if, if there ever were like a call to serve the country, <laughs> I'm not good at, most things, they don't need me on most things, but perhaps I could contribute uh, as on a cyber side. How do you look at the current moment? Because here you're working with a young entrepreneur. I find young entrepreneurs a little more global, a little more uh, tolerant, et cetera. How do you look at where everything has ended up? Hmm. Um, you know, I think why, I think Scott, you might've said this, like we should be slow to judge, quick to forgive. <laughs> yeah. Um I've totally messed up. And there's actually examples like, uh, I think when I had coronavirus or a fever and I, I got spicy on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I've only deleted a few tweets in my life, but like, yeah. I've, I've definitely made those mistakes where I said something I regretted later or so. Yeah, just remembering that that happens. And um, what do I try to do? I try to blog more. <laughs> you know? I find yeah. that the, the process of like writing to my site, ma.tt, which is my WordPress blog, like, sort of slows you down a little bit and it doesn't have the feedback loops of like a Twitter or a mailing list. Um, leading by example, you know, we try to, we've been a big advocate of distributed work. We've been fully remote since 2005. You have. You know, both pre and post COVID uh, leading for that. Um, and that leading by example, it opened up the market for a lot of other companies to be distributed as well. 
Now it's kind of like a standard thing. Most startups are actually. But prior, when we were early, like it was almost impossible to get funding. VCs didn't believe you could build a big company like it. And so just having something where people could point to and say, hey, like, you know, Automax, not 2,000 people. GitLab, which I was on the board of for a little while. Like it's a public company, $7 billion. Like those examples um, makes it a lot easier for future generations, future companies to uh, to follow that. And then um, I know it's over overstated, but I think first principles thinking, particularly with moral sides of things leads you to interesting areas. So one example where we were totally wrong is we used to pay people in different countries or different you know cities in America, different pay scales. And uh, kind of like 2011, 2012, my colleagues, the employees of Automatics are coming to me and saying, hey, I'm doing the same work as this other person. Why am I getting paid less, you know, by currency or cost of living or whatever? And at the beginning, I just had all the standard explanations, cost of living, the best prices, whatever. But it, it really haunted me. <laughs> and, and I started thinking, well, wait, like, you know, past 50 years of America, we've been saying same pay for same work. I'm not going to pay a man and woman differently yeah. or people of a different skin color. Why am I paying someone waking up and going to sleep in Pakistan or India differently than someone doing the exact same work in, in California? So, um, yeah, we shifted that. <laughs> and, and it took wow. like a year or two because you can't do it all at once just with the uh, finances and everything. But then we got to a place where we're same pay for same work globally. Some variation in the short term with like currency swings, but then we always bring that, we catch that up. And uh, that helped our hiring so much, right? Because all of a sudden, right. if you're making way more in Brazil, what are you gonna do? You're gonna tell the smartest people, you know, the best engineers in Brazil, hey, go work for this company. They'll pay you way more hmm. than local competitors or yeah. even what like a uh, Google or Facebook will in that same country. You're a baller, Matt. I never would use that word for Matt. Anyway, um, <laughs> Matt, thank you so much. And again, it's uh, text, uh, text.com. Um, and it'll be rolling out a mobile thing. I'm, uh, I'm excited to try it. It'll be interesting. You make great products. And thank you for all the stuff you did for us. At, uh, at I never thanked you, I guess, but thank you. Keep being you, my brother. You're doing great work. Thank you both. All right, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Support for Pivot comes from Hidden Layer. It seems like everywhere you look, industries are turning to generative AI. We talk about it a lot on this show. Businesses can generate more ideas, answers, connections, solutions, and momentum. But at the same time, security teams are forced to slow down that progress so they can make sure AI adoption is safe and responsible. Hidden Layer's AI detection and response platform secures generative AI and large language models from malicious attacks, leaking of confidential information, and intellectual property theft. Hidden Layer helps you generate more by enabling seamless, secure generative AI. Here's how it works. AI detection and response protects businesses from potential attacks by monitoring and analyzing the inputs and outputs of their generative AI applications, blocking harmful transactions and alerting security teams in real time, allowing organizations to accelerate their AI adoption with speed. Customers in finance, technology, healthcare, and even the U.S. Department of Defense trust Hidden Layer to protect their AI today. Plus, Hidden Layer was named Most Innovative Startup at RSA, the most significant cybersecurity conference in the nation. With Hidden Layer, go from pause to possibilities. Generate more with Hidden Layer. Visit hiddenlayer.com slash pivot to learn more about Hidden Layer's AI detection and response solution. Okay, Scott, let's hear some wins and fails. Would you like to go first? You go first, Kara. 
Uh, I have to say, the morning show is really good. I That's hate funny. It, so. I've been watching that too. Oh, the, together we should watch it together and talked on the phone. I really think it's very spicy this season and really fun to watch with a really high level group of people. Uh, Jennifer mm-hmm. Aniston's great. Reese Witherspoon's great. The 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 whole cast is great. Some of which are not well known actors like John Hamm, etc. Who plays the chairwoman? I asked that because she's a lesbian, and I assume that all lesbians know each other. She's outstanding. I do. It's um. Holland Taylor. Right. Holland Taylor? Yeah, yeah. When she comes on that screen, I mean, she's, you know, tiny woman in her 70s, yeah. and she just owns the screen. She, she is does. very good. Yeah, she's been with Sarah Paulson for a long, long time, um, and she's on a bunch of stuff. She's been in The Morning Show. She's on The Chair on Netflix. She's amazing. I love Holland Taylor. She does. That's another win. You know what I think of when I watch that uh, show? And I, I am fascinated that Apple did it. It literally drips money. The production values there oh, yeah. the Hamptons are just houses. like, they clearly said to them, we want an amazing show. This is going to be a tentpole for Apple. Yeah. And by the way, money's no problem. And not only yeah. that, it all shows up on the screen. It, it all does. shows up on the screen. They do a really great job. A it ton really of talent. does. I, I'll go with my fail in a minute. What is your win besides my win? Oh, I just wanted to bring some attention to some young podcasters, a guy named Stephen Bartlett, Diary of a CEO, this 31-year-old kid out of the UK, just such an impressive young man. He interviews CEOs, and the thing I love about his podcast is he's putting on a masterclass on innovation around podcasts. I've done his podcast, and he has these cameras rotating, and he'll travel to LA to interview people in person, and then he does an amazing job with editing and post-production. He's just, this kid is such an innovator, really young, doing an amazing job, and from a standing start is now like one of the biggest podcasts in the world and is kind of a celebrity in London. Anyway, Stephen Bartlett, Diary of a CEO, a guy named Chris Williamson, another young man, he he hosts something called Modern Wisdom, and he's really courageous. He's been talking, He before it was kind of cool, he was talking about some of the challenges struggling young men uh, face, and he's also this kid who was sort of a party boy, and he'll acknowledge that. And then he went very kind of deep inside himself, a lot of meditation, a lot of work on himself, as he describes it. And he kind of came out as someone who was really interested in ideas and thought leadership. And he started this podcast called Modern Wisdom, and it's doing really well. And he focuses on the struggles that young men are facing in what I think is a very courageous and sometimes controversial way. And finally, this podcast, Young and Profiting, another uh, young woman named Halataha, uh, Hall has made some comments about the conflict in the Middle East, which I vehemently disagree with, but she does it in a way that I think she has personal connection to, and I think she's very raw and authentic about it. And her podcast talks about young people in business, and she's doing really well, and it's a very it's a very well-done podcast. Anyways, my wins are these young podcasters doing interesting things, being very innovative, very courageous. Uh, and then my, my fail is just uh, the media's head fake around that there's been any change that they they think that someone gives up a title when they own and control the whole company that they think that 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 has any sort of it just struck me as just so hilarious that the business media and the media is taking uh patty's quote-unquote resignation as ceo as anything kind of meaningful it just struck me as do these people not understand power and shareholder uh rights and governance um so I don't know. I think the media just like totally missed this one. Anyways, those are my wins and my fails. I have a lot of fails actually this week, but I think probably, you know, I was thinking of these deals they made with Sidney Powell and Ken, che- is it Cheeseboro? I call him Cheeseboro. I don't care, Chesboro. 
they better have, they better testify to something pretty significant. I think every one of these January 6th people should go into jail. You think they're getting off too easy? I do. I feel like maybe, I don't know. I would, I, I just want more insight into what's happening because look, I think those people who went into the, they, they deserve the jail sentences, but it should be equal on some level. And these two are the ringleaders, as far as I can tell, are crazy. One's particularly crazy, Sidney Powell. So I just feel like, okay, you better, you better start talking and not be a waste of our, you know, the, the, the largesse of the government on this thing. I just, I, I worry it could create even more um, cynicism about this whole thing. And obviously the big cheese is, is Trump. I assume that's why they're doing what they're doing. It's definitely worrisome to me, as is all politics right now with the rest, of, you know, Congress continues not to be able to meet. Um, I was heartened by Mitch McConnell um, boosting the Biden administration's attempts to pass these bills, these foreign aid bills. That showed some bipartisanship, which I was surprised and happy that he did that. He did the right thing in that regard. But we'll see if the House can get together. So I just, I, I want people not to hate on government. And sometimes I'm like, oh, can you, let's hope that, that it, it matters what the, the deal they've done, the deals that, that are being done right now. I have faith that they wouldn't. I mean, to, to your point, it feels to me that they're getting off easy. They're pleading to crimes that I don't believe will involve the prospect of jail time. But I would imagine the prosecutors there are are smart and don't hand these things out cheaply. So I'm I'm hopeful, actually. I would have liked to see Sidney Powell in jail, given how she behaved, and, and also Ken, who was the quieter one, but the brains of the operation. Anyway, hmm. we want to hear from you. Send us your questions about business tech or whatever's on your mind. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. Okay, Scott, that's the show. We'll be back on Friday for more. Uh, please read us out. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Zoe Marcus, and Travis Larchuk. Ernie Andretot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows, Mil Severio, and Gaddy McFain. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Care, have a great rest of the week. All right. 